on a number of those. We prayed already. I'd be grateful if we kept our Bibles open at the reading, which was on page 807, this familiar passage. And I want to begin by asking us the question, what is in a name? Because this is a passage about names, and specifically the names of Jesus. It's exciting to work out the names of your prospective children. I'm sure many of us can remember that experience, or with cousins, or with nephews and nieces. People used to get baby books. These days, I think they just Google to find names. Unusual names, what is in a name? Elon Musk, who I gather is the father of 11 children, with various wives, but with the singer Grimes, has a child called Techno Mechanicus. What a name. But that's very normal compared to the name of another child of his, Exa Dark Side Rail. Exa Dark Side Rail, what a, what a name. <laughs> I wonder what he was thinking when he thought of the name. The preacher John Chapman of this great city once told the story of a friend of his who was working up in the eastern highlands of Papua New Guinea, who was a Wycliffe Bible translator and had dealings with a tribe that had no understanding of English but liked English words that they'd picked up here and there. And he discovered some people who'd been named random English words. Met a man called Tinned Fish, which is a good name. Another called Second Gear. Imagine that, as second year went down to Port Moresby to the university. I reckon he might have changed his name by then. Not a bad name, though. I mean, better than Techno Mechanicus, perhaps. Names have meanings. They have a purpose. They indicate what parents want and aspire to for their children. Sophia, any ideas? Wisdom. Oh, points there, <laughs> very, very good. Uh, Sophie, of course, yes. No wonder you, no wonder you knew that. Jonathan, the gift of God, the gift of Yahweh. Amanda, she who ought to be loved. I said it was a gerund from Latin ammo this morning, but Barbara Savile corrected me, it's a gerundive, so make sure you get that right. Paul, any ideas? Paul, little one. In Chinese culture, meanings and names are very significant. My grandfather called me Tin Yan in the Cantonese language, which means a sprinkling of grace. And each of my children have the Yan aspect of, their, of the character Yan in their names. In this episode, we have the naming of none other than Jesus. Not named, in fact, by his birth parents, but by his heavenly father, by an angel and via the prophet Isaiah, some 700 years before his coming. These two names in this passage, in verse 21, Jesus, and then verse 23, Emmanuel. What I want us to do, just for a moment or two, is to pause to consider the extraordinary significance of these names and how apt they are for this unique man. So first, Jesus, and you can see it there, in our passage, and it answers the question, why did he come? Why did he come? It is there for us in verse 21. Let me read from verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed, that is a legal agreement between two sets of families, a little like our engagement, but more serious really, legally speaking, to Joseph. 
before they came together, that is a euphemism, before they slept together. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, that is one who wants to keep the law of Moses and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall, and here it is, call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus, which is the same as Joshua, in the Hebrew language, which means the Lord, or Yahweh, saves. And yet here the angel doesn't actually say that, gives an explanation in verse 21 of what that really means. What are we being saved from? What are the people being rescued from? For he will save his people from their sins. Jesus doesn't come out of the blue. This chapter begins with a long genealogy of 17 verses. And that is because the people of Israel had been waiting, 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 waiting for a king, for a savior, because they were a people who needed saving. There are three phases of the genealogy in verse 17. Let me read the first one. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. Abraham, who was a man wandering around in the Middle Eastern desert 2,000 years before the coming of Jesus. But out of God's kindness, His undeserved goodness, He came to this man as the agent for the blessing of the whole world. He picked him out, out of all people, nothing particularly good about him, but promised that He would bless him and his descendants, and through those descendants to bless the whole world. Abraham had Isaac, and Isaac had Jacob. There were 12 sons. They went down to Egypt, and a man called Moses, as we know, led them out of Egypt to worship the Lord in the promised land in Israel. And from that family came King David 1,000 years before Jesus. That was the uptick in the history of Israel. A thousand years Uh, before the coming of Jesus was King David. And for a thousand years, the kindness and blessing of God to separate for himself this people. But then, verse 17, it goes downhill from there, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And in just that very short phrase, it recalls for us the history of Israel, the downslide of this nation, which king after king, person after person, was shown to be just like all humanity, like Adam in the beginning. A people who were in God's presence, in a garden, as it were, under God's rule, but were ultimately expelled for their sin. In 722 BC, the exile that came from Assyria, and then 586, exiled to Babylon. Read with me verse 17 and its third part. And from there, the deportation to Babylon, to the Christ, 14 generations. 
And that's where this book begins of Matthew's gospel. These people who had been really for a thousand years uh, in this land and now for about 500 years waiting. They were back in Israel physically, but spiritually they were still under the judgment of God. The Romans, the foreign powers were still ruling them. And Simeon and Anna in Luke's gospel are there waiting for the consolation, for the salvation, for the rescue of Israel, for a king to come who would save them from their enemies. And verse 18, now the birth, or literally the genesis of Jesus Christ, it is a new beginning after thousands of years of waiting. And Jesus is that king who has come. And the salvation isn't from the Romans in particular, the salvation and rescue is from their sins. Verse 21. First for those people and then to the nations of the world. And the history of the Bible is that it's sins that we need saving from. Sins which cut us off from God. Sins which bring about death. And this baby in Matthew's gospel lives to be a man. And in chapter 11 says these wonderful words, Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest from your sins. That which cuts you off from your Creator. And then later in this gospel, before he goes to the cross, Jesus says, My Father, if this cannot pass Unless I drink it, your will be done. He's speaking of the cup of wrath. That is the judgment of God poured out against all humanity for the wrong that we have done, for our sins. I might have said to, it, to us once or twice before, as a child, on occasion, I would get a microscope and capture the rays of the sun and burn things in the ground. I didn't do anything too bad. You could be glad to know. That is a picture of what happened on the cross when Jesus died. The rays of God's holy, righteous indignation for the sins of the whole world captured and concentrated on one man, on Jesus Christ, who came to save us from our sins. Jesus, the one who saves his people from their sins. What is in a name? He came to do that. But how can he do that? And that's what I want to focus on for these last few minutes. He can do it because of what is said in verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a name, son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. How is it that he can save us from our sins? It is because of who he is because he is God with us, which is what we celebrate this Christmas, the doctrine of the incarnation, the infleshing of God, God coming near to us. The quote is from the prophet Isaiah, 700 years before the coming of Jesus. There's a crisis in Israel. King Ahaz has been trusting Assyria to rescue the nation of Judah from the northern kingdom of Israel and from Syria, not Assyria. And God says through the prophet Isaiah, trust me, not the king of Assyria, I will save you. 
and God says, I'll give you a sign, and the sign is that a virgin will give birth to a son. That was the shadow, but the reality comes here and now in Jesus, in this new beginning. Verse 20, Mary is a virgin. His birth is not ordinary. He is conceived by the Holy Spirit, so that at the same time, he is both God and man. We say this often as Christian people, but it is a quite extraordinary miracle that is worth us pausing and thinking about. I don't often quote it, but here is the Athanasian Creed. I want us to listen to it carefully and what it says, because it is profound. This Jesus, God of the substance of the Father, begotten before all worlds. God of the substance of the Father, begotten before all worlds. That is to say, He is as much God in every way as the Creator of the universe, as the Father from before the beginning of time. And He is the Son. He is begotten, that is, He comes from the Father, but He wasn't born in eternity past. He wasn't created as the Jehovah's Witnesses believe. No, He was begotten before there ever was anything. There was never a time that He was not something that is beyond our comprehension and yet true at the same time, fully God. And yet, listen to this, a man of the substance of his mother, his DNA, his genetics, his humanity came from Mary, born in the world, who although he is God and man, he is not two, but he is one person. People try and wrap their heads around this reality. It is beyond our understanding, but it is profoundly true. This man who with a word could calm the storm. Only God could do that. And yet on the cross died, which God cannot do, only man. And in this unique person, like no one ever before, more man than anybody else, and yet more God than we have ever seen before. And so pause and listen to what Augustine said, he lies in a manger, but at the same time holds the whole universe in his hands. Is that not extraordinary? He was created by a mother, but a mother whom he created. He was carried, but by hands that he himself formed. Too often we say, Jesus, both man and God, God came into the world and we run it off the tip of our tongues. But what we have here is extraordinary. God with us. And so why is it that that is the case? It is necessary because it is only for that reason that verse 21 is true, that He is able to save us from our sins. You see, as human beings, we needed humanity to pay for sins. A lamb was only ever a symbol. The blood of bulls and goats cannot cleanse for sin, as the writer of the Hebrews says. We needed a man. We needed true humanity. And yet, sinful humanity cannot be worthy to pay for our sins. Sinners cannot pay for other sinners. And therefore, we needed a man who was not only man, but also God. And why is that the case? Because by the power of his divinity, 
being uniquely God, he could bear the weight of all of that anger, the microscope, in on this one person and beat it to go into death, but then, crucially, to rise to life, to pay for all of our sins and to bring about a restoration of life. God with us. God with His people Israel 2,000 years ago, but God with all humanity as well. God with us in the most profound way now. At the right hand of God in heaven is a man, but He's not left us alone. At the end of this gospel, Jesus says, Behold, I'll be with you to the very end of the age. And how is that possible? Having been cleansed of our sins, God is now able to approach us in the deepest way by His Spirit. And Jesus says, Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That is to say, there is a coming new age when the one who was born at Christmas will return. That's why we celebrate Advent before Christmas. We celebrate His second coming, His return to cleanse this world of all sin and bring about the kingdom of God. And we look forward to that day, not with fear, if we're Christian people, but with expectation. Because then and there, God will truly be with us. Heaven isn't things. Think of all the presents that you're expecting this year. I don't know what it is for you, a PlayStation? They're really out of fashion. Maybe some food, uh, maybe something else. But heaven is not things and trinkets, it is a person. It is God with us. It is being brought back into the presence of God fully, as we were made for. And so this Christmas, these two words for us to ponder and consider. What's in a name? Jesus. The Lord saves. The one who saves us, rescues us from our great enemy, which is ourselves because of our sins, which is God righteously coming in judgment if we don't have those sins dealt with. Jesus, but also Emmanuel, God who has come to be with us, once in darkness, but the light has come. God with us in our hearts, God with us one day fully when He brings about His kingdom. I'm going to lead us in prayer. She will bear a son, and you shall call His name Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. We pray this would be true for ourselves, Father, that each of us will have taken up the offer of the forgiveness that comes as we bow the knee to the Lord Jesus. And we pray that you would help us this Christmas to cherish who it is that has come to us. And we ask it for his glory's sake. Amen.